be on time for supper. And I call you for dinner, stop playing ball with your friends and come home immediately. Sit up straight in your chair. Don't put your water glass too close to the edge of the table. If you do, you might knock it on the floor. Finish everything on your plate or no dessert. You do not leave the table until I or your mother give you permission to leave. Those, my brothers and sisters, were some of my earthly father's dinner rules. They were never written down anywhere, at least that I know of. They were verbally promulgated quite often. And whenever they were violated by yours truly or his little sister, as did happen on a few occasions, an appropriate punishment was assigned and administered immediately. Sadly, there was no court of appeals in the Suriani household at the time. Matters like those, my father was the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Like it or not. This afternoon, I'd like to review with you some other dinner rules, the ones that have been given to us by our Father in Heaven. They're given in reference to the meal his son died to give us the Holy Eucharist. They're given through his son's mouthpiece, the Church. I decided to deal with this issue in this homily for a couple of reasons. First of all, because it is Corpus Christi Sunday. Secondly, because many of our Heavenly Father's children seem to be unclear about some of his dinner rules, even though these are written down for us. They're written in sacred scripture, in canon law, and in various other documents. So here they are. This, by the way, is not an exhaustive list. These are just some of the more important rules. Rule number one, when we come into the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, we should always genuflect, unless we are physically unable to do so. As it says in the document Eucharistiae Sacramentum, it says genuflection on one knee is prescribed before the Blessed Sacrament, whether it be reserved in the tabernacle or exposed for public adoration. You should also genuflect whenever we pass in front of the tabernacle or monstrance. This is a sign of our recognition that we are in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I ask you, do you genuflect before you enter your pew for Sunday Mass? Do you genuflect when you leave at the end of Mass? That's rule number one, genuflect. Rule number two, under ordinary circumstances, Protestants cannot receive the Eucharist in the Catholic Church. The corollary is also true. Catholics cannot receive in a Protestant church, and that includes Christ's Episcopal Church down the street. I mentioned Christ's Episcopal explicitly because I've heard stories over the years about some of our parishioners receiving there at funerals and weddings. Now, why these restrictions? Is the church being mean-spirited? No, the church is simply asking us to be honest. That second reading we heard today, very short reading, but very important. It says there, 1 Corinthians 10, because the loaf of bread is one, we, though many, are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. When we share the Eucharist with others, we are making a public statement, whether we realize it or not. 
making a public statement that we are one in faith with them. That's what Paul is telling us in this text. But unfortunately, we are not one in faith with our Protestant brothers and sisters. Yes, praise God, we do share some elements of belief in common, but not enough so that we can come together and partake of the one loaf. We're working toward that unity, and hopefully someday it will be attained, but we are not there yet, and we need to be honest about that. Rule number three, as we're told in Canon 919 of the Code of Canon Law, if we want to receive the Eucharist, we must fast for one solid hour from all food and drink, except water and medication. That includes gum, by the way. Obviously, if you're sick or unable to fast for a medical reason, that rule does not apply to you although not chewing gum at mass still does apply. Rule number four. Under ordinary circumstances, we've committed a mortal sin. We must not receive communion till we have gone to confession. At the risk of offending some people, I will now get specific because when I make a statement like this in a homily, invariably people will ask me after mass, Father Ray, what sins would fit into that category? Well, here are a few of the more common ones. I base this on my 37 years of hearing confessions. Missing Mass on Sundays and Holy Days without good reason. Deep hatred for another person. Remember, St. John in his first letter equates hatred with murder. Adultery, fornication, masturbation, homosexual activity, artificial contraception, sterilization, Procedures like IPF. And of course, if a person is in an invalid marriage, he or she must not receive until after the marriage is blessed, validating. Now, if that's your situation today, don't despair. Just make plans to see a priest or a deacon in the near future to discuss what needs to be done to straighten the situation out. We deal with circumstances like this all the time. Father A, these are very radical ideas. No, they're not. In fact, all of them can be found in most Catholic missiles, including the ones here at St. Pius, page 319 to be exact. I looked it up. On that page, you will find the official guidelines for receiving communion that are given to us by the Catholic bishops of our country. Please note what they say there about those who are unable to receive the Eucharist for one reason or another. This is important. It can be a source of some consolation. The bishops say, all who are not receiving communion are encouraged to express in their hearts a prayerful desire for unity with the Lord Jesus and with one another. In other words, they're encouraged to ask Jesus into their hearts so they can have a spiritual communion with him. They can't receive him eucharistically, but if they so choose, they can receive the Lord in another way. Everybody had to do that, right? You recall during the pandemic when churches were closed. Here at St. Pius, we also encourage those not receiving communion to come up to the priest or the deacon with their arms crossed over their chest in this fashion in order to receive a blessing. Please keep in mind that last one is a local dinner rule. The type of blessing isn't mandated by the church, so it's not offered everywhere although I think nowadays it's offered in most places. Finally, a few quick 
rules on receiving communion. Number one, when we approach the altar, we should do so with reverence. I suggest folding your hands in this fashion, unless, of course, you have a bambino in your arms. In that case, do not fold your hands and drop the baby. Common sense should guide you here. Number two, our focus when we come up to communion should be on whom we are about to receive, not on the people who have already received, not on anything else for that matter. We should be preparing at that time for our encounter, our meeting with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Number three, before we receive, we're supposed to make an act of reverence. Here's what it says in the general instruction to the Roman Missal. It says, when receiving Holy Communion, the communicant bows his or her head before the sacrament as a gesture of reverence and receives the body of the Lord from the minister. Number four, if we choose to receive in the hand, we should make a throne for the Lord in this fashion. No coin slots, no slides, and please, no picking the whole side of the priest here. No. Number five, when the priest or deacon or extraordinary minister says the body of Christ, we're supposed to say, amen. Not thank you, not have a nice day, Father, or anything else. Nor are we to do an impression of a mind and say nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Number six, if we receive in the hand, we're supposed to take one step to the side immediately and consume the host right there at the foot of the sanctuary. We're not to take communion back to the pew or home to our sick relatives. If someone at home is unable to come to Mass and wants to receive, let us know. We have extraordinary ministers who take communion to the sick of our parish every single weekend. I must admit something to you in conclusion. In all honesty, when I was growing up, I didn't always like my father's rules his dinner rules. At times they seemed unreasonable, arbitrary, and just plain unfair. But looking back at it now, all those years ago, I realized Dad was right. My father wanted our suppers to be pleasant experiences for everybody in the family. And his rules, when they were actually followed by my sister and myself, helped to make that happen. Our Heavenly Father's dinner rules are given for a similar purpose, so the Eucharistic banquet we celebrate here will be a spiritually profitable experience for everybody involved. Now, our observance of these rules help to make that happen every Sunday.